0: Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining back here with us here for this series, We the Church. And before we just jump right in, I wanna say a big happy Father's Day to all the different kinds of dads that are out there. Whether you're a techie dad, a handy dad, a sporty dad, or like a Star Wars dad, whatever kind of a dad you are, I wanna just say happy Father's Day to you. Whether that means that you're a dad, a grandfather, or a spiritual father to someone, uh, just really investing in the next generation matters. So thank you and I hope you have a fantastic Father's Day. And today, we really want to pick up the series right where we kind of left off. We've already learned a few things about the church. That one, the church is people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, right? People that journey together. And then what did we take a look at last week? We learned that the church is really about radical generosity. And even this week, we experienced that. Uh, somebody noticed that I was running out of pastory mugs. Um, so they brought over one for me that says, I love Jesus and coffee, which is also incredibly true, all the way from El Salvador. So These moments of generosity are things that draw us together and that's a beautiful thing. And so today, I want to talk about a topic actually that in some ways I have a very complicated relationship with. I want to talk about a topic that I've never actually preached on before. And trust me, the list of things I've never preached on before is actually very, very small. Uh, Something that for me brings up a lot of personal um, kind of, I don't know, reflection and also just personal experience today. I want to talk about the church as a place of healing. I want to talk about this topic of healing. And for me, as I said, I have a complicated relationship with healing because, um, as many of you know, my dad uh, had cancer for 13 years. And for 13 years I prayed for him every single day. And I have seen God do amazing things in and through the gift of healing. But like many of you, I've also seen this gift abused. I've seen it been used in ways that are incredibly harmful and hurtful. And I've seen people even leave the church over how the church has dealt with this gift and this topic. So today, I want to wade into this topic with as much sensitivity as possible, because I know that as soon as I say we're going to talk about healing, there are some of you, some of you, your first reaction is a very personal one, or you're instantly thinking about yourself or a loved one that has some health challenges. For some of you, you might be a little bit wary, that as soon as we start to talk about this, you're like, I don't know, there might be a lot of doubt and skepticism, or also, you might have seen this gift, gift misused as well, so you're a little bit, I don't know, hesitant. Some of you might be incredibly excited, actually. You might be thinking, finally, we're addressing this. Some of you, though, too, you might be feeling, like I think many people are, that you believe in the gift because Scripture speaks of it, but then you wonder, then why don't we see it in the same sort of way that we do in the early church here and now? Well, that's what I want to try to explore a bit with you today. I want to explore it from the posture of this. I want to explore it with the posture of trusting and learning from Scripture. I believe that's the right posture to enter into this. And so today, um, I'm a pastor who believes in the gift of healing, who has seen it, and who has also, at times, doubted it deeply. I'm someone who has prayed over countless numbers of people, and sometimes I've seen God move in mighty ways, and other times, you can probably relate to this, I've been wondering, like, God, what are you doing? And so in the midst of all of that complexity, I want to talk about healing, and I especially want to ground ourselves in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts 2 today. I think that by the time we're done this series, uh, many of you will have this passage like memorized because I keep reading it, but I just want to keep coming back to it as kind of like the cornerstone for who the church is, as the starting place, as the grounding point for our understanding of the church. And so we read this in Acts 2. It says this, And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. It says this, And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. That's, that's the healing we're talking about, right? And it says this, and, after, uh, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And I think, if you take this passage seriously, and a few other ones I'm going to read, what you'll have to realize is that the early church was seen as a place of healing. That's what the early church was. It was a space and a place of healing. I mean, it's right there and pretty obvious in the text itself. We read this, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. I mean, it's pretty obvious and up front. You'd have to almost intentionally skip it, right? Because it's so clear in the early church and in the book of Acts how healing played a prominent role. I want to read to you a few more passages from Acts 3, 4, and 5. Uh, We're going to be primarily in Acts 3 today, but in Acts 4, we read of a prayer from Peter and John for the early Christians. And they say, And now, O Lord, uh, hear their threats, and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. And then listen out for what they pray for. They say this, Stretch out your hand with healing power. Because that's what they're expecting that God will do. Uh, And they say this, May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they preached the word of God with boldness. There's that theme of healing again in the early church, that the early church was founded and really a space and a place where God moved, the Holy Spirit moved, and healing happened. Or we read this in Acts 5, and it just gets even more obvious and explicit. It says, And the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. That's what they get known for. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in an area known as Solomon's Colonnade. Um, And it says this, Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. And as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. And crowds from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. That I think, if you lived in the early church, if you lived in that day and age, that when you were to think of the church, right back then, I think one of the first things you would think of is healing. I think that's what these stories show, right? It's not the first thing I think we think of. If I'm gonna be honest and vulnerable, when I started to prepare for the sermon series, I felt God asked me to preach on the early church. And it wasn't until like a few weeks into this, all of a sudden I realized, I'm gonna have to preach on healing. Like it never occurred to me, because when I think of the church, this isn't always the primary thing I think of, but I think back then they did. So what do we do? Because I would like to suggest to you that I think in North America, especially in our Western churches, that our Western churches are not known as places and spaces of healing like we see in the early church. So what do we do then, right? And what are the options for us to try to wade our way through this? Well, what some people do is they just ignore these scriptures, right? That's what they do. But obviously, I I think that's a bad idea. Uh, What other people do is they say that these uh, miraculous acts of healing, they were just for back then. This is often called cessationism, right? That was just for the apostles or whatever else. The problem is, is that the Bible never speaks of this, and the Bible seems to really equate that when the Holy Spirit moves, like, people are healed. Right? That's what we read in these passages. Other people, their solution for between, you know, holding on to Scripture and our modern-day world, what they say is that these are just stories meant to teach us. Right? That's an option that some people take. But that's really not what Luke is telling us. Luke is not telling us just some story or some fantasy. He's telling us his, history. Like, this is actual historical accuracy what he's trying to teach. And I also think it's very paternalistic for us to say in our modern-day perspective that we know better what happened than actual people who experienced God moving in the past, right? And so then we're left with the idea of we have to take these scriptures as seriously, but also the complexity of our modern world. And so today, I just want to talk a little bit about how we can hold on to scripture and listen and learn, and also see how God might make our church a place of healing as well. And to do that, I want to dive deeply into one passage, actually. I want to just really settle in on Acts 3 today. This is where we get an extended account of the kinds of healings that we are seeing from Peter and John in the early church. So if you have Bibles, so open them up there. And I want to read to you Acts 3 and then discuss it for a little bit. It says this, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a man uh, lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could beg the people going into the temple. And we should be paying attention to some of these details, okay? Says this, and when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. And Peter and John looked at him intently. They looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them, eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. And then Peter took the lame man by his right hand and he helped him up and as he did the man's feet and his ankles were instantly healed and strengthened and he jumped up and he stood on his feet and he began to walk and then walking leaping and praising God he went into the temple with him and all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God and when they realized that he was the lame beggar that they had so often seen at the beautiful gate they were absolutely astounded they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter And John. And here we read of something amazing. Here we read of something life-changing, right? That this man was healed and his life was absolutely changed. It says this, that Peter says to him, in the name of Jesus Christ and Nazarene, get up and walk. What should be clear at this point by that verse, what should be clear is that this man, follow with me, this man is not actually healed by Peter. This man isn't healed by his faith. Remember, faith is never mentioned. This man isn't healed by some, like, magical words or any of those sort of things. This man, follow with me, this man is healed by Jesus Christ. Amen? That is the one who heals him. It is Jesus Christ. When Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, he is acting as Jesus' representative. He is acting as him in this moment. He is acting in his authority. So what I want to say really, really clearly is that it is always Jesus who heals someone. We get to participate in it, but we don't take credit for it. Right? I just think that needs to be absolutely clear, that it is always Jesus who heals someone. We get to participate in it, right? but we don't get to take credit for it. It is Jesus who does the healing. Right? And so Peter, acting in the name of Jesus, acting in his stead, acting as his representative, he heals this man, right? in and through the power of the Holy Spirit, in and through the authority of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to take a look at, though, I want to take a look at is how is this man healed? That's what I want to pay attention to, like how it is healed, or even closer to it. What is actually healed in this man? And your first answer, your first answer might be like his feet and his ankles, they were strengthened and that is true, but that's actually missing the point of what was actually healed in this man. And to explain that, I need to show you a little bit of our own bias here in the West. Now when it comes to these stories in the West, I think we approach them primarily through what's called a biomedical approach which means that we're concerned about the physical body. We're concerned about, like, diagnosis and symptoms and whether these things can be verified, right? So I would like to suggest to you that, likely, if we hear a healing here in Canada in our community or even in North America, our first kind of go-to is we want it verified, right? We want, like, independent doctors to say for sure that it happened. We want, like, x-rays and we want charts and we want all of that sort of stuff. That I would say that when it comes to stories of healing in the Bible, for us as Western North Americans primarily, we approach it, solely through the physical lens that that's what we focus in on the physical and what happens to someone's physical body like we Focus in on the legs and the feet and the jumping in this story What I want to be really clear on is that that is not the Bible's perspective or lens The Bible actually has a much wider deeper and kind of say this even better way to view healing right that for the Bible and for the People in this day and age that healing was not just about someone's body follow with me healing was about a whole person Healing wasn't just about healing their body, but actually healing and restoring them in social, communal space. That's what I want to say really clearly. That's about healing somebody also in social and communal space. Maybe a good way to put it is just this, okay? That if you are blind, if you are unable to walk, if you, are, um, you know, had a disease of some sort, that these were very real physical difficulties that had very real social consequences. Okay? I want to make sure we understand that that these physical difficulties that people had, had very real social contexts and social consequences. So that when someone is healed, it is not just their physical body, but actually their social being, their actual relational being, how they are able to enter into community is also healed. I'll give you some examples of how this works, okay? So back in that day and age, back in that day and age, if you were, for example, like this man, if you were born lame from birth, or if you were blind, or if you had a disease of some sort, what this meant was that you would be trapped in a cycle of poverty for the rest of your life. You'd be unable to really care for yourself, and you would then be excluded because of things, right? This is a social consequence that you would actually bear. Or, also in that day and age, did you know this? That if you had a disease like this, or if you had some difficulty or physical impairment, did you know that back then, do you want to know what people thought caused it? Sin, actually. They thought that somebody sinned, and that you somehow were deserving of this. We see this actually in John 9. So in John 9, Jesus comes across a man who was born blind from birth. And this is what the disciples say to him. They say to him, Hey Jesus, like who sinned? This man or his parents? Because if you were struggling with something, it was somehow caused by sin. You somehow deserved it. Somebody was to blame, right? So what this meant then was, it was very easy to exclude people who were hurting, very easy to exclude people who had some disease or difficulty in their life, because they were likely, follow with me, either impure, Or sinful or both. So what this meant was, is that if you are born blind, if you're born lame, if you are carrying some disease like leprosy, is that you are always on the margins. You are never invited in. You are always excluded. You are always just pushed to the edges. And so when Jesus heals this man, it affects not only his body, just follow with me, it affects his entire life. Amen? Everything is changing in this moment. Every single thing. And yes, it is about his body, but it's also so much deeper and better than that. I want you to hear that again, that it's so much deeper and better than that. And so in this moment, this man is healed and everything changes for him because of all these different things we were talking about. So when someone is healed in the Bible, I just want to be really clear is that while we cannot forget the physical healing, it has deep social implications. So what I want to do then is I want to show you how these social implications are at play, even in this story, okay, that some of the things that we might just kind of jump over. That when God wants to heal bodies, he wants to do whole persons. That's what's going on here. So let me show you from the text itself. We read this. So Peter went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. And each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful Gate, where he could beg from the people um, going into the temple. And the first thing that should be obvious is that this man is struggling, right? That he is begging for a living. So he is trapped in poverty. He is trapped in difficulty. He is trapped in a very, very difficult space. And notice with me the juxtaposition, right? Where is he put? He's put next to the beautiful gate. He's not carried in. He's not welcomed in. That's not a part of the story whatsoever, right? He's put next to the beautiful gate, but follow with me. Nobody thinks he's beautiful, right? Nobody actually even sees him. This man is used to living an anonymous, excluded, unnoticed life. That's what he's used to. Right? An anonymous, unnoticed, excluded life. Because listen to what the text says, listen to what happens. It says that Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from him. So what was happening was this man was begging for money. He was asking for money. He was reaching out. But even as he was asking for money, right, he wasn't looking really at Peter and John. Because right? Peter and John have to say, "Like, look at us. Pay attention to us. So what's going on here? Well, I think it's obvious. I think that this man, like so many in our culture, in our society, in our world, is just so used to being ignored, overlooked, and unnoticed, that even as he's asking for money, he's not really looking at anyone, because follow with me, nobody truly looks and sees him. No one's really interested in him. The same people are going to pass him day by day by day, and he lives unnoticed, excluded at the edge of the temple. Right? So much so that even when someone's going to give him money, right? he's not even looking, he's not even there, because follow with me, his life is one where he expects to never be noticed or never be wanted. That's what's going on here. We have to see the social implications of what is going on. If we're gonna understand the healing and all that it changes and all that it does, right? And we actually see this play on this idea of Him being seen and unseen throughout the passage. So much so that at the end, what we notice is this, it says this, and as the people saw him walking and heard him praising, right? people who never noticed him before, it says this, when they realized he was the same lame beggar that they had so often seen at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. That now that this man is healed, follow with me. Now that he is healed, now he is truly seen. That's what healing is changing. Now that he is healed, he is now truly seen by people who have ignored him and passed him by every single day. So healing has physical implications, but it also has so much more than that in the Gospels and in the Acts, and we have to pay attention to that. Second social implication, we can read in this verse, and it says this, And then Peter took the lame man by the right hand, and he helped him up. And Peter took the lame man by the right hand, and he helped him up. And this, this is so beautiful. This is so needed, because look at what Peter does. He reaches out. Right? He reaches out and he touches him. He reaches out and he grabs him by the hand and he holds him and he has a connection with him. Follow with me. There is no healing in this passage until that boundary has been broken. Right? There's been no healing until Peter actually reaches out and holds his hand and lifts him up. And you have to understand how important this is. Because back then in that day and age, what they thought very, very much was that certain people were pure and certain people were impure. Right? And the way that that impurity got passed was through touching someone else. So people were very, very clear to always exclude somebody who was sick, always exclude someone with a physical impairment because they were likely either sinful because they deserved it. Remember, that's what they thought, or they were impure because they can't keep the temple codes anyway. So nobody ever actually would ever reach a hand out towards them. But does Peter care about social stigma? Does he care about the purity laws? No, he cares about this person that he sees in front of him. Remember, he sees him now and he reaches out and he holds his hand and he lifts him up and a miracle happens. And I just think we have to remember these social implications that are going on, that now this man is being restored, and it's a beautiful thing. And I want to point out one last one, and I could honestly do this all day, but I wanted to show with you one last way that we see not only the physical implications, but the social and the relational, communal uh, implications as well. So we read this. It says, After the change in the end, we said this, And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar that they had so often seen at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. And they rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where, follow with me, the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Or he's holding tightly to Peter and John. I hope you notice the juxtaposition of the change of how this man is now included because do you want to know why he's holding so closely to Peter and John? Just follow with me. He has never Ever, ever been included. He has never, ever, ever been welcome. Follow with me. He has likely never, ever, ever been in the temple. Ever. He is not wanted. He is not welcomed there while he was lame. He has never been restored to be a part of the temple. Notice with me in the text, where does it say that they place him? They place him at the edge. They place him at the beautiful gate. They don't carry him into the temple, do they? Where do they place him? Just outside of it. Right? This is not just shallow comment on where the man was sitting. This is about his social location, that he isn't wanted, he is marginalized, and he is on the outskirts. That's what's going on. Let me read to you a verse in Leviticus that shows um, a little bit about how this developed. We read this in Leviticus. It's talking about priests and people who are allowed to serve and approach the temple. It says this, no man who has any defect may come near. Listen to that. No man who has any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or disformed, And by the time of Jesus, this idea that there can be no blind or lame was expanded to include all people. That basically, if you had anything wrong with you, you weren't welcome in the temple. You weren't welcome to worship. You weren't welcome to actually go and approach God and to find healing and restoration. So when God does something in this man's life, follow with me, when God does something in this man's life, it restores him to community. It welcomes into the place of worship. Finally, he is moved from the outskirts into the center. I just want to say amen to that, that that's what healing is about. It's about not just restoring people's bodies, but restoring people. Restoring whole people into social spaces where they now have connection that they were forever not having before. That's what's happening in this passage. This man is moved from standing or sitting on the outside of the beautiful gate to being a part of the temple and being seen and being known. And actually his story and his witness is now being reckoned with. I want to read to you how the story ends. Because this idea of the social implications of healing just, you can't miss them once you start looking for them, right? It's just that our view in the West, it's just so narrow, right? And we need a wider view because God is doing something deeper and better. The story ends with this. Peter and John are arrested because this is causing a commotion. Because there aren't supposed to be blind and lame people walking into the temple. This isn't meant to happen. It's causing a big commotion. So they're arrested. Right? And the religious leaders are trying to figure out what to do with him, but listen to how it ends. They decide eventually to just release them because of why. I wanna to read to you what it says. It says this, and the members of the council, they were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Right? Uh, they also said this, and they recognized them as the men who had been with Jesus. But this is what they say, but since they could see the man who had been healed, standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. But since then they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them. There was nothing the council can say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. Do you you see the change? Do you see what is happening here? Do you see what healing has restored and what healing has done? Listen to this verse again. because This verse gets to me. It says this. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them. There was nothing the council could say. Since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. And this, this passage gets to me like, let's put this in the realm of history. That's what this is, right? Like not fantasy, not anything else. Picture this with me, that they, these religious leaders have passed by this man every single day. He has gone by unnoticed, he has gone by unwelcomed, he has gone by unwanted. Remember, they are happy that he is put here at the beautiful gate. Not welcomed in, not allowed in, right? But this is a space that they have for him and then what is the change? See the change, right? Before he was on the outside and now he's right in the middle of a center of power and what is happening? That those in power are forced to reckon with his story of what God has done in his life, of how healing has restored him into this place. I just love this so much that this is what healing does. This is what healing does. It moves people from the margins into the center. That's what it is. And the very institution that has rejected this man and said that his life doesn't matter, the very institution that is doing that, is forced to reckon with his story. Because picture this, he's standing right there. That's what the text says. He is standing right there. And even though they can't name him, even though they don't want to, they are forced to be reckoned with his story and the power of God within it. This is what healing does. And if, follow with me, If we just reduce healing to physical bodies we are going to miss all the amazing mighty work that God is doing because it is so much deeper and better than just that. God wants to heal bodies but he also wants to heal whole people. Amen? Like that's the business that God is in, right? Body, soul, and spirit. It's about the whole person and this man is absolutely wholly changed. We could put it this way. That this man has not just had his body healed. Follow with me. I want to say amen to this. That this man has had his life healed. That's what it's about. This man has had his life healed. And so, what is my main point today? My main point is just really simple. It's the same kind of main point we almost began with. Right? The churches are to be spaces and places of healing. Right? That's my main point. The churches are to be spaces and places of healing. And remember, when I'm talking about healing, I'm doing it in that broader way. That is not saying that God does not heal physical bodies. I believe it, I have seen it, and he's still in the business of that. But I also believe that there is more that God is doing and that he wants to not only heal bodies, but whole people, or to put it as I just said, he wants to heal people's lives, and that's, that's the business of the church. And while we never get to take credit for it, follow with me, the Holy Spirit does invite us to participate in it. Jesus does invite us to participate in it, and here in this story, Peter and John, they stand there and they say in the name of Jesus, and they get to act as his representative, bringing life to someone. So what does this mean for us? Well it means that I believe that our church should be a space and place of healing. So how do we practice that though? How do we let this be something that actually moves us forward? Not just something we learn, but something we actually try to live out. Because here's my perspective when it comes to Scripture, right? That Scripture is not only meant to teach us, it's meant to form us in ways of living. Amen? Right? Scripture is meant to form us in ways of living. So how do we live this out? Well, today I want to give you three interlocking ideas for how to live this out, okay? I'm not giving you three steps, because anybody says that there are three steps to healing, you wanna know what that is? That's magic and it's not a part of the Bible, actually, okay? Here's how healing happens. It comes through the authority and the power of Jesus through following the Spirit. But I wanna give to you three ideas that can help to expand that for us. And they're interlocking ideas or overlapping ideas, and I believe that there needs to be all three of them if we're gonna see healing, if we're gonna be a place of healing. And they are actually just taken directly from this story. Actually, they are first looking and reaching out and including okay it's looking reaching out and including so what do we read in the text when it comes to looking it says this it says when Peter and John uh, about to enter uh, and there's a man he asked for some money it says this and Peter and John looked at him intently or we could say that Peter and John truly saw him or Peter and John noticed him I think that this is what we need for there to be healing I think that there needs to be true seeing of people amen I think there needs to be true seeing of people, like whole people, and the burdens that they're carrying, and the lives that they're living, I don't believe that there can be healing while we are ignoring or not truly seeing other people. Is this... is this maybe, maybe one of the reasons that we don't see healing as much as we would hope for or pray for in North America? Is it because we are so busy that we're not actually truly seeing people, not truly seeing into one another's eyes or into one another's souls, that we're not really valuing the story of the person sitting across from us? Is this partly what we need to regain? I believe it is. I believe we need to see people, if we're going to see healing, happen. And this is why, although you might not be expecting this, this is one of the reasons why I spoke out so strongly against racism. And while I will continue to do that, because there is no way that the church will be a place of healing while denying the stories and experiences of people, especially those who are black, indigenous, or people of color. To deny their stories is to deny them. And that is not only wrong, it is unbiblical, and we need to learn to really see other people and their full stories that they are living. That's what this passage hints at. That's what this passage shows, right? Peter and John are walking and this man reaches out to them and they look at him intently, they truly see him. And it's from that moment that then healing can begin. Second thing, second thing that I think needs to be, they're not only seeing, I think it needs to be reaching out, right? That's again what we see with Peter and John, right? What does it say? That Peter reached out and he grabbed hold of his hand. Peter reached out and he crossed that barrier. Peter reached out and he moved towards someone. That movement needs to be a part of our lives if healing is to be a part of our churches. We need to be reaching out past barriers, reaching out to those who we are truly seeing and to actually join with them. Maybe I can put it this way. That I don't believe that healing will happen until we learn to join hands with one another. Right? That I don't believe that healing will happen unless we truly learn to join hands with one another. And is that what we need? Right? To be truly willing to actually reach out and to join hands with someone else and to really walk with them. I think that's what this passage is pointing at. I think that's what we need. And then lastly, including, including, I think that needs to happen, too, because what do we read at the very end? That this man, that this man who was once on the margins, is now in the center. That this man who is excluded is now welcomed in. That this man who is on the outside is now on the inside. There is an inclusion aspect of healing to this story that is about a man being welcomed in. And I think we need to be willing to truly welcome in people if we're going to see healing happen. I think, almost instantly right away, of the stigma that goes towards mental health. Right, and how we're not truly welcoming or actually including people in. I think if we want to see healing, inclusion needs to happen because that's what this story is actually hinged around. That this man is no longer excluded from the temple. This man is no longer excluded from the worship of his God. This man is now included because of the act of God. And I think that's what we need. So when it comes to living this out, when it comes to becoming a place of healing and a space of healing, I, these are the three things that have just been jumping out to me this week. I'm not gonna lie, I have a complicated relationship with healing. Because I've seen people healed. I've seen God do amazing things. But then I also prayed for my dad every single day. And I never saw the thing that I was desiring for. So this is the complex reality of healing, but I don't want to ever deny or diminish the power of God and his ability to do the miraculous and things that we have yet to see. But I think if we want to be a part of it, if we want to participate in it, there needs to be seeing, there needs to be reaching out and there needs to be including. How can there be healing without those things? Otherwise, we are just reducing healing to physical bodies and it is so much deeper and better than that. It's about people and whole lives being changed. That's the kingdom of God. So today, Today, and all of this complexity, I know there's lots there to wade through today. Here's my challenge. Would you let the Holy Spirit guide you this week in seeing, reaching out, and including? Would you let the Holy Spirit guide you this week in seeing, reaching out, and including so that then we might participate in the ongoing work of God, so that then we might become a place where healing of not only bodies, but whole lives are happening so that then we might participate in what God is doing? Because can anyone just say amen to this, right? That our God is active in our world, amen? That our God is active in our community. Our God is active in Niagara. And the question is, are we willing to join with him? And I think that happens in and through listening and following in the Holy Spirit. And especially then, I want to challenge you to really look. To really see people. To really, truly see people. To reach out and then to include. And may you do that this week as we seek to continue to follow Jesus. Especially so that uh, we might continue to see healing and hope happen in and through the church. So with that, would you join with me in prayer this morning? Dear God, I just pray, I pray for all of us who are seeking to follow through the truth of this scripture. I pray you would give us courage, I pray you would give us boldness, I pray you would give us mercy. I pray, Lord, would you give us eyes to truly see people, eyes like Peter and John. Would you give us the courage to then reach out, to push past barriers, to grab hands with someone and to actually stand up with them. Would you give us the courage, Lord, to also include others in our lives. I pray, Lord, as we seek to practice this passage, as we seek to follow your Holy Spirit, I pray would you lead us in all things. And God, for all of those who we know who are struggling with health concerns, who are struggling with challenges, Lord, we pray healing, we pray restoration, we pray hope over them. We pray that the Holy Spirit would fill their room and fill their lives and fill their heart in this moment. And God, might you continue to do that with us so that we might follow, so that we might uh, continue to not only be obedient to what you ask for us to do, but to see lives changed, including our own. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. and Amen. And as always, Grace and peace, everyone. Bye-bye.